Get ready for your semi-regular dose of random ideas from the guys at Code Elation. We like to talk about big ideas, companies that are winning and those that aren't, along with current events in our crazy world of software startups. So come along with Eric and Josh, who challenge you to think big, start small, and turn your ideas into something on this episode of From Idea to Done. Hey, everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Eric. And on this episode, we have our friend Jake from Bushel. Hey, Jake. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Could you tell everyone uh, on the podcast here a little bit about uh, who Jake is and, and what Bushel is? Yeah, uh, Jake Jornstead uh, grew up in here in North Dakota, up near the Canadian border, about 10 miles from. Uh, came to school in North Dakota State, uh, computer engineering, terrible student on average. Uh, ended the four and a half years of computer engineering with a 2.7 GPA in, a, in a, my own company. So I, you know, want, you know, poor one way and good the other way. And so I've uh, been building a software business since 2011. In 2017, we made a pretty strong pivot into agriculture as our main focus. We had really had no focus kind of for the first six or so years of the business. And so that was a turning point for us. And uh, today the company's brand is Bushel and uh, we are going to market kind of broadly across what you'd consider the, the grain industry or the row crop space in the United States here. Uh, we're also in Canada with some of our tools and um, we started as a custom dev shop and uh, we got to a point here now where we're uh, have a product and a dev shop, and it's an interesting um, space to be in. And how how big is your team now, Jake? We have 180 people on the team, with most of us here in Fargo and a few scattered throughout the Midwest. Wow. So you know, the main thing I wanted to bring you on today is talking about uh, you know raising funds. We're here in Fargo, and you know Fargo gets some buzz about uh, a good tech hub, but we're you know we're not a Silicon Valley, we're not a New York, um, you know. I'd like to just get your take on raising funds here in Fargo, what challenges are, you know, and, and what you know now that you wish you knew when you, when you started out. Sure. So it's a, I'm a pretty passionate about this topic. I, when I set out to raise funds the very first time, which was in 2016 at the end of the year, going in 2017, I made virtually no traction outside of the, the immediate market here. I was not getting meetings with, um, the Silicon Valley players, I wasn't getting meetings with traditional venture. Um, and that at that time, I would blame our inability to articulate what we were trying to do next, right? We weren't quite clear on why we were changing from a development team only to, uh, to a product, or we were really weren't even committed to that yet as a company. And so that, that was tough. We raised money locally here. Um, some what you might call like super angels and family offices that uh, made initial investments of a million and a half in 2017. Um, then uh, within the time of that point in, in, in 18, we had two potential acquisitions come, uh, both from uh, one from the Midwest and one from West Coast. We, we ended up not doing either and we we're smart to do that, but it was pretty compelling at the time because it's super early in launching the Bushel product and that's what they wanted a piece of was to get get in early on that and, and turn that into something that they want to use for their business. So then as I set out, kind of walked away from those deals and set out, okay, we got to do another funding round. This one's going to have to be 5 million, probably maybe, maybe more. Uh, the problem we ran into there was the same, except this time, I think our vision and, and, and our plan was much more articulated and we had made major progress. We had like 30 or 40 companies on our platform and had a few thousand farmers using the tool and we could, we could, 
not get, we got some attention from traditional venture, but we could not make any progress. And we, we had to start with defending Fargo. Why, why Fargo? Why do you think you're relevant? What makes a software company even good in Fargo? Are there any engineers in Fargo? These kind of really ridiculous questions of people who clearly have never thought about this space. Um, so that would tell them about our business of selling software to grain companies, grain elevators, elevators, and they would wonder which kind of elevator we're talking about. And I would have to explain, we're not talking about a physical elevator that humans get into, but the elevation of grain into a storage facility. And it was very, <laughs> very difficult to see a path in which venture capitalist companies outside of the Midwest would understand that. And so we ended up taking money from a, another family office here in Fargo. Uh, they led the whole round, all 7 million basically, and uh, with some follow-on from our existing partners. So once again, no progress in that arena. And a year and a half later in 2019, about, about beginning of the year, we started out looking at raising a big round of funding. So we call it a series B, uh, ended up, we originally set out to raise probably 12 or 15 million. We ended up raising 19 and a half. It was a little bit oversubscribed and a little bit, we realized we needed to raise more than we planned. And so in that process, we did get some time with these venture players, but in the end, the only players we chose were Midwest um, venture groups uh, coming out of more traditional family office model than a, than a, some sort of um, created uh, venture model. So there's very few limited partners in these funds, they were mostly single, you know, like a family office, this company owns the funds or this family is the only investor behind the funds. It was very simple in terms of who were the decision makers. And they're all egg, again, this is the pattern all the way through. They all had some egg background or connection. And, and what we learned to articulate in the last two rounds was Fargo is special in a lot of ways. And one of those is there are a ton of engineering talent here. There is a ton of engineering talent here and they are um, fully capable. And I would argue that the best talent here is as good as anywhere else in the country. The, the argument I think you could make um, in the negative though, is that maybe the average talent in engineering is maybe less than the average talent on the coast. But that doesn't mean those people can't level up and get to this sort of capability. But if you can find some of the better top tier talent, it's you're just as competitive as anywhere in the world and uh, that's our core belief today still. Uh, you know, we got Microsoft attracting people here to the university systems. We've got, you know, major university metro and that all those things help bring young talent. And then we've got plenty of companies here that have built great software uh, over the years that have kind of grew up a bunch of senior engineers that we can go and find. And that's what we've been doing for the last few years. Awesome. So the, the takeaway I've got from that is really that you need to find people that understand what you're doing and uh, don't think that a word means something else when you're, you're pitching them is, is probably the, the takeaway there. Based on the track record and probably wasn't clear at the time, but it's clear now that the people who believe the most in our mission are people who have some fundamental connection to the industry you're serving period. They grew up on the farm. They knew their family grew up on the farm, whatever that connection was made these kinds of investors get serious about in this case, we're in the agriculture supply chain. So, this is what they cared about. Sure. And I, uh, I, I imagine this has been a good deal of your time is, is being able to take uh, VC meetings and investment meetings. 
kind of paint the picture if you're going through a round and you're going through your first time, like what's, what should I expect to invest in time and, and, you know, who else's time should I be relying on, whether that's a, a CFO or like, what, what are the moving parts that I should pay attention to if I've never done this before? If you've never done it before, it feels like you could go out and do it in a few months. And in the very early rounds, there's no, like if you're raising less than $2 million, I don't think there's any reason you shouldn't spend less than six months getting that money raised. If you're spending more than that, you're, you're, something's off, something's not working, or you're talking to the wrong people, or your, your model's not really connecting. But when you get into the larger rounds, everything takes longer than you think. Um, in the case of our $19.5 million round, we started raising, at least I started spending time with these players that we thought could be interesting as early as February 20, 2019 seriously. And we closed the round on December 12th, 2019. So it took like almost an entire year to close a $19.5 million round. Now it got really serious in May. We thought we were going to close in June and June became July, August, September, October, November, and December before we were really finalized on the whole thing. So there's two re points to that. One is raise, start raising a little earlier than you think, especially if you're looking at a bigger round, but also you got to think about, do you have the cash capacity to carry the business until that point that could be a year away because if you don't you need to start raising now or earlier because um you know it would have been really bad from a negotiation standpoint if we were hard up on cash during that time you can't negotiate from a, a point of weakness and so that's really important too is to think about timing of if you're going to have strength or not when you're negotiating to be able to walk away from a deal that's not good yeah that's always always difficult when you're, whether you're selling something or negotiating if, if you're in a bad spot you you can almost smell it on you and i think in north dakota something that's really interesting is there's a people have seem to have a hell of a time raising earliest the earlier funds and the biggest thing i see as the reason is because nobody can get on the same page around how to do valuations and equity in the early stages and emerging prairie is a good example but there's people are working on how what's a good model major metros have models that basically everybody's aware of if you raise a hundred grand the valuation's a million. If you raise 200 grand, the valuation's a million five. Like there's this, there's this assumption around how much money you raise correlated to this fake business that's obviously not worth a million dollars right now. But the reason there's a correlation is because the entrepreneur in the early stages can't give up so much equity that the long-term isn't even possible or motivating. And that's something that North Dakota traditionally angels don't get here that they think, you know, well, I should own 50% of this business or I should, if I'm gonna give you a hundred grand, that's like your business isn't worth a hundred grand. So I'll take 90% and you'll take in. The, that kills both sides because it gives the entrepreneur no real motivation and long-term vision to build value for themselves. And it doesn't allow for the investor to bring in other capital partners down the road. So that's something that in the early stages, kind of pre-million dollar rounds that people just have a hard time understanding here. and it's. It's actually not that complicated and you just kind of have to be willing to agree that basically if you're starting a business, let's agree to, if you raise 10 or 50 grand, maybe you're worth half a million. And if you raise a hundred grand, you're worth a million. And that's just how we're going to start because there's no true factual basis in terms of valuation that early. Sure. Well, that's, wow. that's a good tip. No, that's good. I wanted to kind of shift from that a little bit. Cause like I've creeped on your company forever and <laughs> I like, the culture that you kind of bring to your team. And it's, it's interesting for me kind of as in that role for our company, how do you create good culture 
or do you have any tips for people for creating culture in like a software engineering field or something for like really introverted, traditionally introverted people? It's a good question. Uh, the honest answer is some of my team would be a, a, a better answer to this question in terms of how we do it today. Mm -hmm. In the early days, um, you're right. The, I mean, on average, engineering culture is more introverted and on average, engineering culture is not excitable in the way that maybe entrepreneurs might get excited for just crazy ideas because they see a lot of uh, what they have more realist view of the world and we have a much more not realistic view of the world and as entrepreneurs sometimes. And so what we found though, is that in our case for, for a very long time and even today, engineering leadership is the, one of the driving components of the business. So the culture is heavily influenced by engineering culture. We, we don't try to, I think a mistake along the way would have been to ignore engineering feedback and culture for the sake of the business or the marketing people who don't agree with this view. That, that was something we did well where we didn't run over engineering culture. And sometimes engineering isn't as loud or sort of a squeaky wheel as other areas, but you can't forget that, especially if you intend to build a software driven organization, right? And so just in a basic level, I think the, the culture has to somehow be heard. A good way that we started a few years in to hearing the culture questions and, and maybe some issues we were having was a tool called Office Vibe. I would say between, between the time when we were probably a few years in to when we really built a true culture of engineering here, Office Vibe or, or a tool that automates basically questionnaires to your team throughout the week to help understand what areas of the organization are doing well and is it leadership that might be an issue or maybe their manager or maybe maybe uh, choices the business is making, whatever, where, where are the issues coming from? And they do it anonymously with the ability to opt in and say, here's who I am giving this feedback. And we started doing that in uh, 2013 or 14. Our first round of it, we had, if you know, net promoter score zero to or negative 100 to 100 is the score of a net promoter score. You know, zero is not good. 20 is not really that good. 30 is pretty decent. 40, 50, 60 is pretty high. We started at like a negative score of uh -huh. net promoter of our own employees of what they like, what they, what they refer their friends to come work here. And it was negative. And over the course of that year, it went from negative 13 or something like that to 20 or 30, 40, 50, you know, today, um, our office five average score for the employee wellness is over an eight on average. And what happened was during that time, people were maybe unwilling to share certain things and at least the engineering culture felt much more comfortable sharing raw feedback in a, in a, in a initially at least in a anonymous form. And that, that helped us see some major holes in our organization. We had people that weren't a good fit that we had to let go and we had to move on that were driving poor culture. And um, that I would say that was one of the key pivotal tools to, to where we are today. We still use Office Vibe at 180 people. I had no idea that was a thing. And so now I have some research to do after this. Really that, good. Check it out. Especially really if you have more than 10 employees. Yeah. I think those tools get to be really imp impactful. So we're just around that. We're getting to like 12-ish. And yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah, it's time to start really kind of changing things for us. And you can't walk around the office and ask everybody real questions throughout the day. Right. That's when you need something like that. Right. And so the other kind of part of my job is a marketing aspect. And, and I just wanted to ask just kind of a high level to, 
it's tricky. What I want to do whenever we're working on anything is scream about it from the mountaintops. Like if we're working on some cool new app or there's something I want to talk about, that's not always the a possibility though with like non-disclosure agreements and things are still, you know, in very early stages of stuff. How would you kind of in your earlier days promote or even do marketing for launching an app or working with some of your um, business partners on the launching side of things in the early days. So most cases you're not going to be limited by NDAs um, with customers when you're launching a product, mm-hmm. unless it's specifically a feature product for that customer only, then you might have some limitations. But in that case, uh, you know, we, we try not to be in a position where we can't do that. Um, Man, it's a good it's a good question. There, I've seen so many not well done ways to do it in the last few years from from some some young entrepreneurs that it's kind of hard to think about what really does work. It's not easy. the The world we live in today is super noisy, and um, yelling doesn't necessarily work anymore. Um, even spending doesn't necessarily work anymore. In our case when we launched Bushel, the only way we really made traction, and even in 2020, three years later on our platform, there's no amount of marketing we've done on social networking or Twitter engagements or Facebook or anything of the like, even physical advertising that has moved the needle more than the first 10 customers and then the next 100 customers being excited about it and telling people. And it and what you can, what, what does get heard today is when somebody who's not, um, in your pocket, telling somebody else about a recommendation they have because of the, you know, their experience with it. That is so important. And in the first 10 customers, you learn two things. One is the first 10 customers, you will understand how wrong you were about every assumption you made so far. Every assumption you made for the first customer is different amongst the first 10. At the end of 10, you'll have a really good grasp on what your product actually should have done. And hopefully you've pivoted along the way to make it work broadly across the first 10. Then you can go to 100 customers and then it gets hard again for different reasons. But in that path, those first 10 and first 50 and probably the first 100 customers, if you can't over-service them to the point where they just love what you're doing, even if your product's breaking all the time, and but they still love your team and the you know what you're doing to help them in some way, that is the more impactful than any spending you can do online. That's our opinion still today. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that. I guess, did you get, did you have anything that you guys wanted to promote? Or are you doing anything exciting coming up in the next, I don't know, a couple months or so? Or, you know, there's a lot of, we just launched some cool products. If you know any friends uh, that are in agriculture, that are farmers, or they run grain companies or egg retail groups, have them hit up Bushel and see if we can help them in some way. We've got a lot of tools out there today on our platform that are really making a difference. We just passed 25,000 active farmers on our platform. And that's really the active monthly count is higher than that. And so it's really exciting. Um, the impact we're making our, our goals to get to 40% of the market in the U S in terms of grain origination. So buying from the flow of grain, from the farm to the supply chain, we want to be a part of 40% of those um, interactions. And I think uh, we're, we're on our way there. Um, and someday down the road, if you're in agriculture, you're going to hope to hear about something called bushel wallet which is gonna impact the way people think about how they move money in ag. Right now, agriculture is moved entirely, money's moved entirely by uh, paper checks and in the mail and statements that are mailed to your home. 
uh, we think that needs to change and we're working hard on what that could look like. Awesome. Well, I, I smell a little maybe cryptocurrency there. Yeah, well, not so much crypto at first. So blockchain is really interesting in the space too because it's clearly like a potential solution. But the problem we have right now is nobody can get on board with what the right, like who's going to lead it and what is the right blockchain technology to, to choose and what path to go down or if there's going to be one right now. Right now, the answer is none until otherwise noted. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, that's, that's really, uh, really an exciting uh, piece we hadn't heard of from the Bushel team. So thanks for sharing that, Jake. And uh, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Time so for some more reflection. And I really like that, that uh, episode. I think leadership is so critical and influential in software engineering culture. And that kind of makes sense because all the introverts that I really know are really quiet and they work good in small groups. And if your leader is that one, it's going to be good culture. And, and one of the things that I had no idea was a thing is that when we get a little bit bigger, we should look into office vibe and like, what, what was that? And wow, what an interesting thing. I had no idea product. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. I've, I've known a few companies locally that have used them and um, a tiny pulse was another one. Eric, you know, you said we're a little bit better. Do you think we should implement, you know, something like that with Codelation? I think the, like, a really easy miss that most companies miss is you have to be transparent about caring for your people. And I think that that's, that's the component of great culture in a nutshell. And I think we should try this. And, and we should just keep trying new things and keep trying to care for everyone until we find something that fits us. I, I think we're, he talked about being at a different size and we're at that threshold right now where we can't just walk, talk to everybody each week and just get a, get a gauge of how things are going and how they're doing in the company. So yeah, short answer, yes, we should try that. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I like the the part where Jake talked about raising funds and, you know, when he saw a cutoff of a million dollars is like the entry point to raising funds. Um, just a, a different take on somebody that's been there and done it before. Um, you know, the messaging of targeting the right investors that understand your market. And then also kind of the separation of our market, you know, here in Fargo and how we approach um, the valuation versus larger markets that maybe have a little bit more depth in angel and and uh you know like series a you know uh, earlier stage rounds just listening to some of those numbers there that that was just kind of crazy coming from us where we're like we're the first step in a lot of these big ideas and it was just like hearing some of the new the the coast like strategies and and numbers that their builds are we're getting in just the investments it was it was crazy to me but it's exciting too as an employee for a development shop, <laughs> hearing some of those uh, some of those numbers, and then one of the other things, like I liked when he was talking about marketing new apps, and I, I really I really loved the idea, and just kind of based on the way we do our business, is really listening to your first ten customers and be dedicating to making them happy. The first ten people that love your product that aren't in your pocket that's going to evolve into a hundred and you should tell their story. And so I, I creep on Bushel quite a bit too. And the other big takeaway has, I'm interested in learning about Bushel wallet, like our community, our development community and Fargo. That's just awesome. And so now, now I have more of a reason to love and follow Bushel. 
Yeah, we'll definitely see where that that one goes is interesting to hear. So thank you all for listening. We're hoping you know a startup that could use our advice and random thoughts. If you do, send them over to Codelation.com to hear the next podcast.